Hey, this is Thor from Cybrary. If you've been enjoying the Cybrary podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cybrary.it. From all of us at Cybrary, thank you and enjoy the show. How can you build smarter cyber defense strategies that reduce your organization's risk against the threats that you care about the most? Let the subject matter experts at MITRE teach you how to disrupt the adversary by employing a threat-informed defense approach. In this episode of the Cyberry Podcast, Cyberry Course Manager Jennifer Barnaby hosts a virtual roundtable with special guests from the MITRE Ingenuity team, including Frank Duff, Steve Luke, and Richard Struess. With the help of MITRE's free training courses on the Cyberry platform and the resources provided by the Center of Threat-Informed Defense, you can align your security strategies to combat real-world adversary techniques. Hello, and welcome to the Cyberry Podcast. My name is Jen Barnaby, and I'm one of the course managers here at Cyberry. And I'm here with three special guests from the MITRE Corporation. And I'm very excited to talk to them about threat-informed defense. And they are Frank Duff, Richard Struess, and Steve Luke. And I'm going to have you guys introduce yourself, if you will, please, uh, starting with Frank. Absolutely. Um, so I'm Frank Duff. I'm the lead for the Attack Evaluations Program in MITRE Ingenuity, um, where we do threat-informed evaluations of uh, products and capabilities um, for, for MITRE. I've been at MITRE for about 20 years now, almost, um, my entire career going from signal processing to blue team to now leading a team of adversary emulation engineers to do those assessments. Um, so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And Steve? Hi, Steve Luke. Uh, I've been at MITRE maybe not quite as long as Frank. Uh, since 2005, I was in the Air Force before that um, and worked with MITRE a little bit uh, at that time. I've been doing cybersecurity since about 2007. Um, and right now, one of the roles that I have is helping to produce the content for MITRE Attack Defender, um, which is a series of free videos to watch to get educated on attack and its applications that are hosted on Cybrary, as well as some assessments uh, that you can subscribe to take and get badges and certifications uh, to show your mastery of that knowledge. Great. Thanks, Steve. And Rich? Hi, I'm Rich Struess. Uh, I'm the co-founder and director of the Center for Threat-Informed Defense at MITRE Ingenuity. Um, <clears throat> I actually spend most of my life as a technology entrepreneur, but uh, back uh, about 10 years ago now, I joined the Department of Homeland Security, ultimately becoming the chief technology officer for cybersecurity operations in the NCIC. And there I, I launched the Sticks and Taxi Cyber Threat Intelligence Sharing Initiatives. Uh, that experience, when I got to MITRE in, uh, about four years ago, led me to, to really want to solve the collaboration problem, as I came to call it, where how do you bring together smart people from different organizations from around the world to tackle problems that are of practical concern to the community and do it in a way that's repeatable and scalable and agile? And that's really what the, the center, you know, we were two years in, uh, we launched in November of 2019, and we're developing freely available resources for the threat-informed defense community uh, with about 30 members now from the private sector. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
I know I listened to the webinar that we hosted with you guys a couple of days ago. And I remember you talking about that, Rich, and how, um, you know, you work together with um, participants that can join the center in research and stuff like that. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what exactly is meant by threat-informed defense and how um, partners can work with you and, you know, what that takes, you know, how they get involved, what kind of organizations have the means to do that kind of thing and that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, first of all, threat-informed defense. So when I got to MITRE, the MITRE attack knowledge base, uh, which had been released in 2015, was going strong. And there's a robust community that was really had formed organically around this incredible resource that, you know, MITRE had started working on back, you know, a few years before that in, in around 2012. Uh, and so when I got there, uh, I saw a tremendous potential and I saw all these different parts of the community, people doing things around and using the intelligence in, in, in MITRE ATT&CK. And they were using ATT&CK as a lens to view their, their uh, defenses. They were using it as a way of managing and mapping their threat intelligence. Some were even starting to use it as a way of validating their defenses. And, and, but that takes a long time to say. And I remember walking down a hall in, in MITRE's McLean headquarters one day, and I said, we need a name for this set of activities. And, and I finally just came up with threat-informed defense as a way for, as a shorthand way to talk about a way of thinking about the problem and a set of activities that people do. Um, you know, I didn't create any of those, uh, those activities. I, I didn't, you know, I can take no pride of ownership in that. Um, but I think having that term has been really, really helpful to crystallize the community around, uh, again, a way of thinking. I think that's really important. How do you, how do you not just sort of focus on, you know, vulnerabilities uh, and patching and, and assets, all of which are critically important, but then how do you put yourself in the, ad, in the adversary's shoes and look at your organization from their vantage point? And that's what's turned out to be really uh, important. Yeah, it seems like um, it's it's really about um, looking at what the adversary is doing and seeing how your defenses stack up against that. And I know Frank, you're evalu you're um, involved with the evaluations, and um, maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I know, like the way I was looking at it is um, possibly doesn't do it justice, but sort of like a, a consumer reports on steroids. You know, like a highly sophisticated review of of services and tools and how they really you know protect against. Um, what adversaries are doing. Absolutely. So uh, when, when we started the program uh, uh, back in 2018, um, we were trying to address a, a need for organizations to, to better articulate what they could do with regard to attack. Again, as, as Rich said, attack was building this momentum, this grassroots effort, um, and people were loving it, but then it started to get into marketing and sometimes things can go poorly there. And so there needed to be some, some transparent organization that would be able to evaluate um, um, with regards to attack. And, and I think where we took it a, another step for being threat informed was not just basing it off of attack, but basing it off of specific threats. So when we do our evaluations, we use uh, something called adversary emulation, which is pretty much what I would call a threat informed red team. You're scoping your red team to a very specific set of techniques and procedures and implementing them the way that known adversaries execute them. Um, and so by doing so, you're really 
measuring security performance based on what is known. The problem is with the cybersecurity industry, especially five years ago, it's gotten a little bit better, but it still exists. There, there's a lot of, of magic cures out there, right? There's, there's all these programs that say that they can do anything um, and, and protect you from all the badness, and yet attacks still happen. So rather than try to make decisions based on what we think the threat could be, let's take a step back and actually let's measure us for what the threat is. And to me, that's really where threat-informed defense comes into play. It's, it's making sure that we're doing the things that we know we do to defend against the threat, right? It's not about the hypothetical threat. I mean, there, there's a time and a place to do those types of activities. But if we can't guard against what is known, what, what's even the point of any of this? And, and that's really what attack evaluations tries to drive to. Yes, we're using already publicly released intel. Adversaries change. Yes, we recognize that. But at the same point, we have to start somewhere. And by using adversary emulation, we're able to do that. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, that's the great thing about the attack framework is you have all that information there. The CTI is there, the descriptions of the groups, the procedure examples and everything. Um, but it's also kind of an overwhelming amount of information. And um, I know, you know, I've worked a lot with Steve on the courses that we have um, on the Cyberay platform, and we are working on an adversary emulation course right now. Um, and we're trying to get to the point where we can help our learners see how well they know what's in the attack framework. But I don't know, Steve, if you want to comment on, I know one of the things that we want to make sure we make clear is um, attacks sort of always growing. Like just because you know what's, you know, everything about one TTP doesn't mean you really know everything because it could change tomorrow. Um, and I wonder, you know, how do we, how do you think we should uh, do our job to make sure that's clear in, in sort of the uh, courses that we're putting out there. Yeah, well, it's a good point. I think one of the um, great things about Attack is it's really community um, contributions uh, that are making it um, so rich and full. And so it's not just a, a handful of smart people trying to just document what they happen to know, um, but we're trying to leverage the broader community. And I think that's a theme across all of our work is that we're trying to, um, you know, group together uh, so that we can benefit from the great work that everybody's doing in this community and pull that all together because it's going to take uh, the whole community to really make progress on this. And I think, you know, that's kind of similar to, you know, back in 2012, 2013 timeframe, you know, one of the things that we were experiencing is that a lot of sponsors were asking you know, how can we deal with the huge volume of different, you know, malware binaries and IP addresses that you're supposed to block and domain names you're supposed to block. And the, the volume was just getting overwhelming. And at the same time, there is this sense that a lot of the intelligence out there about threat actors was sort of stovepiped by actor and by incident and so, um, you know, part of the idea with attack was to see if we could find the common things that they were all doing um, across actors, across campaigns, across time to give the defender a bit more of a level playing field <laughs> so that they're not always playing catch up with the latest uh, indicator of compromise um, lower down on David Bianca's pyramid of pain. But what are the things where if you invested in a good way to prevent or detect um, or respond to one of these things that you would get a good return on that investment. 
because it would last a long time. You could you could see future campaigns uh, and activities by other actors. And so I think one of the key advantages to threat informed defense and, and one of the big differentiated values that it brings relative to these other complementary approaches of like rich set patching and, and good passwords and, and all that is that um, it really elevates our understanding of what adversaries do up to that behavioral technique level. And what we've seen is over, you know, the eight years that attack has uh, existed, there's still, you said it was kind of overwhelming, but there's still only a couple hundred, you know, techniques in there. And mm-hmm. you compare that to the list of IP addresses that we've uh, been told to block and domain names you've been told to block and, you know, binary hashes that you've been told to look for. And it's actually a much more tractable space uh, to live in. And, And we see this with even advanced actors who take a lot of precautions to evade classical detections. They're still reusing techniques that were already published in attack ahead of time. And so I think for me, one of the key things about what is threat informed defense is that it's that <clears throat> understanding of the behavioral technique level of abstraction of what do adversaries do so that we can evaluate our posture relative to those techniques and then design more robust mitigations and, and detections and engagements uh, at that level. So, and, and that's something we're going to talk about on the, at the user conference on December 8th. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into what is threat-informed defense, uh, what are the components of it, and the whole day is sort of going to be oriented around that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, You had something to say maybe, Rich? Yeah, I just, you know, there's, as we listen to this, I think there's a a one common theme that uh, goes through through everything we've just said, Um, and that's the role that MITRE plays in this ecosystem, as a, as a nonprofit, there's, you know, I think people with, with a long and storied history in cybersecurity, you know, beginning with CVE and going through, going through things like attack and now things like MITRE Engage on the adversary engagement side, there's a lot of trust and credibility in the community because, you know, we're not a vendor selling a solution and, and we love vendors selling solutions. That's the, they're at the, you know, the, the tip of the spear actually delivering solutions to customers. We don't do that. Um, But there is a really important role for this sort of objective voice and objective expertise. We don't have an exclusive on expertise. And that's why the center is great, because we're bringing together, you know, we say, you know, some of the best security teams from around the world to inform our work. But at the end of the day, we're there, we're not selling people stuff, you know, what, what, you know, Frank is doing is informing people about what works, uh, and what doesn't, and you know what what Mad is doing is giving people a really easy way to to you know independent of any given product solution, how to how to understand how to make sense of an adversary, how to make sense of your environment, how to prioritize, um, and so that together I think it's really important to sort of to give credit to all of the work that we sort of the shoulders that we stand upon inside of Mitre and all the great work that's been done and will and, and continues to be done. Yeah, that's um, great. I know uh, from the webinar the other day, you know, people were talking about Workbench, um, the MITRE ATT&CK Workbench offering that you guys have and how um, organizations can, you know, kind of containerize ATT&CK and use it and annotate, you know, in there what they know about 
um, adversaries and what they've seen. And there's so many other tools like that out there where people have taken attack and sort of mapped it onto sort of a useful way to um, use all that information and apply it to what they're doing. And I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit more about um, maybe a real life example of threat informed defense in, in, in practice or, or maybe if, if you can't think of a real life example, maybe just like a description of how you'd like it to work or how, you know, what's the ideal situation? Yeah, well, I think in, in my experience um, with different organizations uh, trying to apply this, I think, um, you know, the key thing is this idea of um, really understanding the behavior uh, itself. So you're not chasing after the last campaign, um, but you are looking at those things that are sort of constraints for the adversary. These are the sort of bottlenecks um, in their um, maneuverability because they're having to engage with the target system or application or hardware um, that they're targeting. And there's a limited amount of functionality that that provides and they have to uh, leverage that. And so usually I think the key thing is, um, you know, one to sort of, like Rich said, think it through from the adversary's perspective. What are the things that an adversary is going to try to accomplish in your system? What are your um, unacceptable losses um, in the sense of STPA sec? Uh, and then work backward from there. How how would those effects um, be made through cyberspace? And that helps you trace back sort of a likely attack path um, that the adversary might take. And that helps you focus on where should I be instrumenting my system? What kind of activities should I be looking for? What kind of data would I need to collect um, in order to see that? And what kind of analytics should I write um, to detect that activity. Um, so I think that that has proven effective relative to um, the older way that people were uh, trying to engage in hunts um, mm -hmm. because they, they start with that understanding of the adversary and what they're likely to do instead of starting with just whatever data happens to be available to them uh, when they show up to the network, um, which of course that's an operational constraint that everybody's got to deal with. Um, but having that mental process starting with the adversary behavior first and understanding what you would want to collect and how you'd want to analyze that, I think has been a game changer for the organizations I've worked with. Yeah, yeah. I, I, go ahead. Oh, no, it's just going to, to, to go on top of uh, what Steve just said, um, which, and, and something you said as well, Jen, which is like, it's the measuring stick and then it goes beyond um, what traditional hunt was. And I think that, that that to me resonates with where the origins of attack really come from. Um, so when we were doing our research back in the, the early 2010s, um, we were trying to look at, okay, what happens when the AV fails, right? Everybody's looking at the perimeter. What happens when that goes awry? How can we find the bad guy within our networks? And so we started doing research in this space um, and um, started building out analytics, knowing that we were going to run some, some tests against the environment and we thought, okay, we'll be able to find the bad guy because, right, who's touching LSAS, for instance, right? That, that's a, a thing that credential dumping does, but we assume those processes shouldn't be touching that. So we're building out analytics like, all right, let's find processes touching LSAS. Um, when those actually came into operation, right, and we were deploying them in our network, it's going off like a light bulb because we didn't realize that all these other processes were doing it at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And so we, we instead kind of pivoted to be like, all right, well, what 
is being reported as what the threats are actually doing. Like what, what are they doing at the, the core level? Let's build out analytics for that instead, right? And so we started taking a much more threat-informed approach. And so as we brought in the red team to be able to evaluate it, we were able to understand, okay, well, now we're actually able to see some of the behavior. There's gaps, there's huge gaps, especially in the early days in our detection capabilities where we just don't know what they were doing for periods of time. But each iteration, we're improving because we understand where those gaps are. The We're able to advance our defenses based on what the threat is. But by confining the red team to a threat as well to implement those activities, we're able to actually ensure that they continue to be threat-informed. That's actually where, where kind of the origins of attacks sprang from, was that we had to have a communication mechanism between what the red team was doing and what the blue team was detecting and making sure that it was threat-informed and making sure that it was behavioral-based rather than IOC-based, as Steve was alluding to earlier. Mm-hmm. And so that language is what attack sprang out of, right? It was just some way that we needed to be able to communicate. And then we needed to be able to communicate to management and show that measurable improvement. This this red team, we did these techniques. Some of them are duplicated from the last time. Some of them are new ones. But here's how we're continuing to evolve as an organization in our security. And so um, I, I think that 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 the, the things we're saying in terms of let's bring threat informed instead of just blindly hunting is is a, a, a wonderful throwback for me back to the early days of, of attack working on that blue team to try to figure out how to make our defenses better. Yeah, Rich, go ahead. Yeah, I, so from my vantage point, you know, leading a, a collaborative research and development center with now 30 members and growing, uh, the theme I hear I mean, everything that that uh, Frank and Steve said, absolutely. Um, but the, I, I think there's maybe even a higher level message, which is it's around prioritization. You know, there's just not enough time in the day. There are way, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of CVEs, you know, for, for uh, published vulnerabilities. There's, you know, myriad new malware families and, and the like. Where do you where does where does a defense organization start? You know what's important, what isn't. You can't do everything, and so what you know threat informed defense. And, and when we get to the user conference uh, in in December, this is something that I think attendees are really going to benefit from because they're going to really get sort of that long form discussion about how people do this in practice. But that prioritization is really saying like. What adversaries do I care most about? What are the TTPs that I'm most vulnerable to? What are the controls or capabilities that I should be fielding or detections I should be fielding today to stop the things that we care most about? Um, and, it, and it always comes to, as in my experience, it always ultimately comes back to prioritization because I don't think there's an organization out there that says, we actually have more time and resources to deal with. You know, we have time at the end of the day where we just sit around playing solitaire. You know, I, I, I don't think that really happens. So that, that's really where, you know, if you have to prioritize, uh, one of the best ways to do it is based on what adversaries are being reported to actually do out there in the wild. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know, um, Steve, you cover a lot of that in the threat hunting course also that we have in the in the works and that's going to be, um, you know, really great. Uh, it won't be till next year, but it'll be coming out. Um, I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit more about the user conference and what, um, you know, what people who attend can expect. And um, I know, for example, Michael Long, who's teaching the adversary emulation course, is going to be there, do um, the first part of his course 
Uh, what else could you um, talk about that's going to happen there? Right. So we, we are kicking it all off with Michael Long uh, giving a live presentation of the first module of the new MITRE ATT&CK Defender Adversary Emulation course. So he'll do that uh, in person. And then we'll also launch the uh, first assessment uh, for that module uh, so people can go earn their badge um, during their free time uh, at the user conference. We're also going to have some speakers um, from the CTI course who are going to talk about uh, cyber threat intelligence. And we'll have um, a session with Jamie Williams, who was the uh, teacher for Attack Fundamentals, and Michael Long, who's the adversary emulation uh, MAD professor. And they're going to talk about adversary emulation and, and how to do it well in a sort of uh, rigorous and repeatable way that really helps the defenders. Uh, we're also going to hear from uh, Frank and Rich about their work, so I'll let them talk about that. Absolutely. So from the, the attack evaluation side, um, it, we're going, going to be talking about how we're leveraging threat informed defense to the different aspects of, of our program. Um, for instance, how do we leverage CTI to build on our adversary emulation plans? It plays a very important role. Um, adversary emulation can be kind of a spectrum in terms of the realism and, and how much you're actually adhering to a specific adversary. And we hold pretty tight to a specific adversary or, or threat. Um, and so we're, we're going to talk about how we're using CTI for that. Um, obviously, when we talk about how to bring it in for, for tests and evaluations, um, that that's right in the wheelhouse of attack evaluations, right? We have it right there in our name. Um, so, so we're going to be talking about um, our methodology, how our lessons learned from, from performing it, building out emulations that are realistic, how to balance trade-offs. So when you can't do a certain technique that an adversary is known to use or a procedure for that technique, um, how do you trade it out for something that is still going to inform you and still somewhat keep it in the spirit of um, that, that adversary? Um, and then from a defensive measures perspective, how can you use our results to inform how you can improve your coverage, whether it's with tools that you're using or understand where you have a gap and how you might address that gap based on what industry standards are becoming? Uh, because we have tools like the Technique Comparison tool on our site that allows you to understand how everybody performed against that technique. And so you can see how other vendors are doing it. So maybe your solution doesn't have it, or maybe you're using Sysmon and you can't, but you can build out an analytic and spirit of some of these um, other companies that that are pushing forward in, in those spaces. So um, that's kind of the, the, the three folds that you'll get from the attack evaluation side of the house. Yeah, and from and from the center's perspective, um, you know, right now we have, uh, you know, as of this broadcast, we have uh, uh, twelve projects that have been released that are freely available for anyone around the world who wants to use. By the time we get to the user conference on on December eighth, we'll probably have fourteen or fifteen released in total. Um, so we'll be talking about those in the ways that people can use it. You know, you mentioned Attack Workbench, which, which is a great example of an open source tool that was uh, developed, um, you know, by us, uh, you know, with the full participation and support of our members. You know, so much, you know, really everything we do in the center is made possible by our participants, our members, who uh, who really drive our research and development agenda, provide the resources. And then they, you know, with the generosity of spirit, make all of that freely available to the world. 
The other thing that we're going to be doing, you know, I mentioned vendors earlier, uh, and, and they really are, you know, the, the they really are that last mile between, you know, we, we can create great resources, we can create, create great uh, knowledge bases, but ultimately it's companies and vendors and solution providers that are actually solving people's direct problems. And so, uh, you know, what we're going to be formally uh, launching in uh, at the user conference is the center's new affiliates program, which is uh, targeted at cybersecurity companies that are take that are that are taking the center's research and development that we make freely available and incorporating it into their products and, and telling that story. And so, when we launch, we're going to be announcing our um, cohort of founding affiliates for the center. Uh, it's a very impressive group of cybersecurity companies, and so we're really excited to do that. And again, share with the community all of the different research and development that the center and our participants have made possible. Yeah, that'll be great. Um, do you guys happen to know um, how somebody can attend the conference and where where it is? I don't know if you have those details, but we definitely will want to sort of promote that out there. Well, this year, because of uh, COVID, uh, the conference is uh, entirely virtual. Okay. It's uh, free of charge. Uh, so we're really encouraging the broadest possible community to uh, attend the event. You know, I, I'm, I'm really excited about the idea that this is going to be the first and probably the only time that that adversary emulation course is delivered live, virtually, but live by, by uh, Michael Long. And then the ability for people to go and actually go and earn their badges in, in real time uh, you know, in the break between the course and then the start of the formal conference proceeding, uh, and maybe even have a leaderboard that we see who uh, who gets the, their badges first. Um, and there is a link that will be available uh, for people to again register for free. Okay, great. Yeah, that that'll be great. We'll have to share that on our side too. Um, and you know, being able to attend Michael's course and you know, sort of live, I think will be great because you can ask questions and things like that, which you're not going to be able to do in the course when we have it on our platform. Um, although Michael does a great job of saying, you know, here's an email address, you can email with questions and things like that, which is great. Um, another thing that I was going to emphasize here is that all of the MITRE courses that we have on Cybrary are completely free, just like the free resources that you guys provide at the center. Um, when we had the webinar the other day, I was struck by how, we, you know, there were people from all over the world attending that and they kept asking, you know, how can we get this? It, how long is it going to be free? You know, and everything. We're like, it's always free. <laughs> so um, that they're just, you know, wonderful courses and, you know, wonderful information that you guys are providing to the community. And, um, you know, the fact that it's all not, you know, it's all non-for-profit. It's all for the benefit of the of the world, really, you know, to have a better, you know, safer cyber world. Um, I hope people will take that away, if nothing else, from this podcast. Um, you know, we, Jen, we, we talk about democratizing cybersecurity, and that's not just some sort of tagline. That, that actually is what we're doing. And I was, just like you were, I was struck in, in that webinar the other day the number of different you know, people from different countries from around the world. Um, and so that's something we take very seriously. You know, we are fortunate to have the you know, set of deep subject matter experts here at MITRE. Um, we are fortunate in the center to have uh, a set of really generous participants 
who are not only willing to put resources in to solve their problems, but then turn around and make those solutions and resources available to everyone. You know, that's that's really the spirit, you know, and, and so whether it's the fact that you can take as many, you know, MITRE ATT&CK Defender courses as you want for free, the, the way that the, the certification process is really designed to be as low cost as possible for people to earn those badges, um, the fact that Frank's evaluations are made freely available to the world, uh, th- those, are, those are not accidents. Those are all part of our very intentional uh, uh, effort to really try to change, you know, move the needle. And uh, again, in concert with commercial solutions with, with people in the, in the for-profit space. And we think we've actually sort of figured, you know, cracked that code pretty well at this point where we, we work hand in glove with the private sector doing, who's, who's delivering commercial solutions and services. Um, but, you know, we're this, we're this sort of focal point for the community, and I think in the best possible way. Yeah, MITRE definitely has a great reputation for that. And just like you mentioned earlier, being able to do that kind of work at scale the way that you do, I mean, I I imagine it takes a lot of organization and management and um, just a sort of a well-oiled machine to to have that happen. Oh, absolutely. And and again, we're fortunate. I have have a great team um, that works with our center members. We get to tap into all of the subject matter experts across MITRE. Uh, It's really a pretty special place. Uh, and I'm just really proud of the fact that we found ways to share that with the broader community, um, because the reality is no one no one has the resources, all the resources and all the time and all the insights to combat what's a very real and very serious problem. And the only way we're going to, as I like to say, change the game on the adversary is if we work together to, to, to eliminate, you know, to make it progressively harder and harder and harder for the adversary to do what they do without risk, with little or no cost, as quickly or as slowly as they want. We can change the rules of that game. And it just is going to, it takes a lot of work. But I think we're doing that, not just at MITRE, we're doing that as a community. And that's so on, November, on December 8th, it's that community that's coming together. Because there are people all around the world who I've never met, we've never met, who may know, don't even really know what MITRE is, who are benefiting from the work that we are doing collectively, who are employing it in their organization, their NGO, their government, um, and, and making a difference. And that's ultimately what this is about. Yeah, thank you. That's great. I am... Um... I think we can wrap it up now, but I wanted to know if you guys had any last comments or other things that you want to make sure we mention about the user conference or MITRE in general or anything like that. I can't top Rich's uh, speech there at the end. That was good. <laughs> that was spot on. <laughs> well, and and I'd just like to thank, uh, thank you, Jen, and Cybrary for... Um, you know, providing this platform for us to talk about these resources and the partnership has been uh, super, uh, super valuable for us, uh, you know, again, giving us that reach to a, to a really broad community. So thanks. Yeah, thank you. Know, you. I'll just We've add been... that I, I definitely thank the, the community as a whole, right? I think that, that all of our efforts are really driven by and for the community. 
Um, so we welcome feedback. If you're using this, the CTID projects, if you're using attack evaluations, if you're taking part in MAD, give us the feedback so that we can continue to evolve it, continue to mature it, continue to, to improve it. Um, I, I, I've loved working with the attack community at large, right? The one that's beyond MITRE itself um, for the last few years and, and I look forward to continuing to do so. But it's that, that close-knit community of people just trying to improve security that's making all this worth it. So um, thank you for the opportunity to talk about this. And the more we can talk about it, the better it will be because then more people can join that community and, and, and improve together. Thank you. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, this was one of, uh, I hope, three podcasts that we're doing with you guys. We, like I said, we did one with Michael Long. We're hoping to have a couple of the instructors from the CTI course next um, and all building up to the user conference. So we're looking forward to that. And we thank you so much for joining us. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Cybrary, the premier cybersecurity skill development platform, is empowering individuals and teams to secure the future of technology. See why 3 million people have already signed up when you visit www.cybrary.it.